Hi, I'm Jenny Panhorst. I'm the Vice President and General Manager of the Network and Edge Platforms Division with Intel Corporation. Software is truly more vital than, than ever. It allows for agility, flexibility, operational expenditure efficiency. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hey, Jenny. So glad to have you on the show today. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. It's really great that you're doing this. Today, we'll be talking about what Intel has been doing around the concept of open source and virtualization. But before we do that, I have to ask you that question that I ask everyone, which is, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. Um, You know, when I look at my own leadership style. I, I, I think that I like to say that I focus really 100% on the people and 100% on the business. And if you if you do that right, it's really the, the same 100%. So the math kind of works out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm unapologetic about that approach. And I'm really fortunate that I work in a company and um, in a group within that company where, where frankly, this type of leadership is really n- not just um, welcomed, but really expected. I, I believe that leadership isn't just simply a collection of traits. It's more importantly, the actions that you take every moment of every day. Um, and I'm really grateful that I've had role models in this type of leadership. Um, it, and those role models haven't been limited to women. Um, although I would say that some of my strongest role models have been female leaders, leaders who really cultivated this style of leadership, um, both amongst women and men throughout the, the broader organization. So what this kind of means to me and what it what it looks like on a on a daily basis, it's it's a lot of the things that might easily come to mind. Um, you know, for example, right now, as we're navigating the pandemic, it means taking the time to understand people's situations, enabling them flexibility to support their um, their personal needs, their family needs. It means supporting people's career development. It means meeting people wherever they're at. But you know, really you have to look at okay, why is it that we do this? Well, we certainly do it because it's the right empathetic human thing to do. But, you know, we have to be completely clear. We're here to run businesses. And I firmly believe that People First Leadership is very pragmatically focused on delivering strong business results. So when people are placed and equipped and empowered to do their best work, you really get better business results. So this can look like a number of other things too. It can mean prioritizing inclusive leadership practices to ensure that you're creating a cycle logically safe environment where people feel empowered. So that's kind of how I wrap up, you know, that that focus of 100% on people and 100% on the business. But I but I just wanted to make one more comment on you know, kind of more of a personal note. Um, I'm I'm the mom of two teenage girls, and I'm very conscious of the example that I set for them as they grow into adulthood and whatever career they may end up, you know, moving on to. Um, and recently, as we've been all learning and, and working remotely, we're all kind of on top of each other in our house. Um, so my kids have had an opportunity to kind of eavesdrop more than usual. Um, I don't know whether it's intentional or unintentional, but 
in any case, they're listening. And a couple of weeks ago, my 16 year old um, just happened to bring up, she just totally unprompted how she was listening to how I interact and talk on work calls. And she, she told me um, that she can tell that I truly care about the people that I work with. And obviously I was very touched that she, you know, kind of volunteered that, that observation, um, which then of course turned into, you know, kind of a great teachable moment uh, for, you know, being a, a mom of a teen where I could talk about the connection between empathy and business results. That's really cool. And actually, you're not the first person I've had on the podcast who mentioned now that everyone is working from home that their their children are learning more about what they do at work and how they communicate with people and how that translates to what am I teaching my daughter about having a career and how to have a career as a woman and those types of things. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like take your daughter to work day every day. <laughs> Which probably gets exhausting for everyone. But there are some <laughs> That's silver true linings. <laughs> it sounds like there's some silver linings that are emerging. So at least Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you tell me more about the history of Intel's network business and what you've driven so far within that? Yeah, absolutely. And this this is a journey we've been on for a very long period of time, well over a decade. And I'd love to, you know, just give a little bit of insight into that network business and and really where we focus. We really anchor that that strategy on a few key tenets. Um, first of all, it's it's all about being customer obsessed and focusing on customer needs first. So for us in the networking space, um, that means partnering deeply with telco operators to understand their challenges around operational efficiency and business scale, as well as new opportunities to generate revenue. Um, And a great example, if we go back, you know, turn the clocks back quite a bit, um, was our work with the operators way back in 2012 uh, to publish the original Etsy NFB white paper that really spurred all the activity around this idea of applying cloud technology and cloud business models to the networking space. Um, And I think this is a great example of not only our focus on customer customers, but also the idea that you know when the industry rallies together and organizes itself, um, you know, can be in standards organizations, it can be in open source software communities. They really have a, a key role in influencing change. Um, and of course, this partnership with our customers, you know, continues to this day as we partner with them to to roll out five G. Um, but but in addition to that, in addition to deeply understanding customers' needs, it's really all about building ecosystems. This is something that Intel is really known for in building ecosystems around Intel architecture. And so for us, this looks like, you know, partnering fully uh, with every category of, of partner and, and customer across the value chain, whether that's telecom equipment manufacturers, whether that's OEMs, um, ISVs, OSVs, to really ensure that the ecosystem is, is fully tooled to support what it is that we're trying to build with next generation network infrastructure. But then, you know, last but not least, our our product portfolio has to be able to support this kind of transformation as well. And so where we've been focused for many years is on enhancing Intel architecture to run best for networking workloads, um, which means optimizing instruction sets, complementing our compute portfolio with um, specialized acceleration, creating connectivity products that are optimized for networking workloads, um, and and also building in uh, flexible acceleration in in, uh, capabilities and products like FPGAs. 
So this has really been, you know, kind of the anchor points of, of the strategy that we've executed in helping to facilitate network transformation overall. But I really want to focus in on the key role that software plays in all of this. And if you go back to um, 2011, you know, Mark Andreessen at the time um, wrote an essay that talked about how software was eating the world. And so if you look now a decade later, um, not it's not just true in, in networking, but even more broadly across all the different industries that Intel technology supports, software is truly more vital than, than ever. Um, it allows for agility, flexibility, operational expenditure efficiency in building out networks and other types of infrastructure. And, and just one example of the value that software brings um, is one I'd like to highlight around the Data Plane Development Kit, or DPDK, um, which just, just this year um, celebrated its 10-year anniversary, and it was really key to revolutionizing uh, network infrastructure. Um, and, you know, and so when you, when you look at the capabilities of something like DPDK and this idea of creating software Define networking and infrastructure. There are certainly challenges that we have to address in as we deeply partner with customers and understand their needs. Um, but Intel, you know, we're really focused on understanding what's needed to overcome those challenges and, and create success for our customers. Um, and so we've used the, the value that we have across the company um, in terms of our involvement in a number of broader open source initiatives, whether it's you know, our 20 years of experience and presence in, um, in Linux um, as a key foundation for a lot of what we're driving in open source software for networking, um, whether it's when you look you know, more broadly across our investments in software, um, as many as 50 15,000 software engineers focused on, on uh, developing capabilities in this space. Um, and, you know, DPDK is one example, but there's so many other projects, whether it's uh, FIDO, whether it's OPNFB, whether it's the ORAN Alliance, um, that really never would have come to fruition without some of these initial innovations around optimizing networking performance. Um, but, you know, in, in addition to the silicon capabilities, that we bring, all that work that we do around Linux and other open source communities have led to us being really a top contributor to a number of these communities. And when you look across the full landscape, we're actually involved in more than 650 different open source projects. Well, since it was just DBDK's anniversary, let's focus on it a bit more. Can you tell me more about the role it's played in making the network function virtualization transition possible for service providers? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so like I talked about before, we're really focused on trying to ensure that we can enable high performance um, networking capabilities on, on general purpose computing. That's that's really where our investments focus, both from a hardware standpoint as well as a, as a software standpoint. So, you know, as we worked initially with um, communication service providers, telco operators who were really in search of greater flexibility and agility in their networks, um, they, they, they needed the flexibility, but they also needed to be convinced that that same performance could be achieved on general purpose computing, on, on standard server-based architectures, by comparison to the more proprietary silicon systems that they were historically used to. Um, you know, and, and along the way, in addition to performance, there are a number of challenges 
challenges that they have that they that they faced and had to overcome um, in order to be able to work towards uh, network functions virtualization and and really a lot of the infrastructure that's being built up today um, as part of 5G. Uh, so in addition to performance, that includes things like virtualization, manageability, and again this desire to leverage that infrastructure as much as much as possible and monetize it by creating new services, which are really important now in the era of, of 5G and edge computing ramping. Um, so if you specifically look at the role that DPDK has played, it really was focused on that vector of performance. And what we did 10 years ago was we um, recognized some of the technical challenges associated with efficiently running network workloads on general purpose processors. And we, that resulted in us releasing um, and shepherding the development of DPDK over time. Um, and so as a result, we were able to address you know, significant increases in traffic um, being generated. Um, and what DPDK really at, at a very basic level is responsible for is as efficiently as possible moving packets through through a system and then at a more macro level, moving data packets across the network. Um, so it's really about efficient data movement. Um, and so, so DPDK played a key role in ensuring that NFV could be possible as, as these operators focused on transforming their, their networks over the course of the past 10 plus years. Um, and, and that enabled deployment of server-based infrastructure and a focus on, on you know, what we've been able to enable here with Intel with our Xeon-based processors. Um, so now, 10 years later, DBDK, as it celebrates its 10th birthday, um, has become really the de facto standard for running packet processing on general purpose servers. And while its origins traced back to uh, trace back to telco, it's really now extended to a number of other verticals. When we look at um, you know, cloud, enterprise, security, financial services, and a number of other sectors where it's being utilized today. What makes open source so necessary for realizing the promise of 5G? Yeah, so I, I tease this a little bit, but I'd love to go into it in a little bit more detail. If you look at you know the advent and and the growth of five G and edge computing, it's really about the creation of new services. Operators are seeking ways to monetize all this great investment that they've made in Spectrum and in transforming their infrastructure. Um, so one great example of something that we're investing in at Intel is another open source offering that we have called Openness. Um, and, and really what that is, is a multi-access edge computing software toolkit um, that provides network simplification and it helps developers onboard and manage applications um, and, and network functions as well with cloud-like agility. So it's really about making the edge more cloud-like and extending it across any type of network. So that could be 4G, 5G, wired, wireless. Um, and so we founded this project. It, it had an initial release last year. We're a primary uh, contributor and we introduced it to make the migration of cloud applications to the both the network edge as well as the on-premise edge much more seamless for developers. It's really about appealing to the needs of developers. So, um, so when you look at, at you know, the role that openness plays, it really complements what we're building out in terms of our portfolio of um, compute with our processors, our connectivity products, our acceleration products, as well as other key software to make it easy for developers, whether it's cloud developers, um, IoT developers, to engage with a broader ecosystem and land these applications and services on next generation infrastructure. Yeah, let's talk more about the relationship between some of these buzzwords that you've been mentioning and have been floating around the industry for a while. 
How exactly will things like edge computing and cloud native architecture accelerate the creation of new services on the telco cloud? And what might some of those new services be? Yeah, let's talk about the edge. This is, you know, I, I think one of the most exciting parts of, of my job. And, and I love to, to really almost kind of dream up, you know, the, the future that's going to be brought with, with edge computing. Um, you know, with 5G, we're seeing more and more compute being pushed out to the edge, um, closer to where data is being created um, and consumed. And so really the edge is about creating additional tiers of, of computing architecture and distributing that compute where it's better able to address um, whether it's latency needs, bandwidth needs, um, security needs, data sovereignty needs of a particular application or service. Um, and so then when you think about what does that entail, it requires a tremendous amount of flexibility and agility, even to a greater degree than what I've been talking about so far relative to network transformation. If you think back about 10 years ago, um, you know, we were really on, you know, kind of the precipice of the mobile revolution and mobile, you know, and, and the, in combination with the cloud really has become the platform for innovation over the course of the past 10 years. And really, as we look forward to the next 10 years, the edge really um, stands to become the new platform for innovation. Um, and if you just think about kind of what we're going through right now, um, as we've coped with the, the pandemic, um, we've seen massive shifts in demand. There have been increases in, um, you know, as we've all worked from home and learned from home, um, increases in, in residential voice and wireline increases in video streaming. Um, and as we move forward, there are predictions of a, a bigger upswing in new and also accelerated use cases. And so again, going back to agility, it's really key that our infrastructure it enables us to adjust dynamically to be able to address these very unpredictable <laughs> as well as changing demands. Um, so you, you asked about a couple you know, in new services. Um, there's all kinds of exciting ones that people, you know, have been have been working on to date. Um, if we look at the need to, uh, for example, in a manufacturing environment, dynamically retool or reconfigure manufacturing lines, um, we look at the need to provide real-time control to be able to um, control robotics and other equipment. Um, if we look at, you know, material that's being that's coming off of a manufacturing line, um, the ability to drive real-time defect detection and quality control, um, you know, in a manufacturing environment, these are all great drivers for technologies like private wireless, but then also combining that private wireless connectivity with multi-access edge computing capacity in order to provide all of that increased business value. Um, AR, augmented reality, is also playing a key role in next generation use cases. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's opportunities to have AR-aided remote experts um, or um, repair capabilities in an industrial environment, um, AR-aided warehouse and, and logistics. Um, so again, big drivers for, um, you know, that increase in processing necessary at the edge to fuel that augmented reality capability and produce, you know, significant increases in business value. Um, look at a retail environment. Now, more than ever, we have a need to accelerate um, contactless retail um, to be able to satisfy the needs of next generation consumers and be able to provide um, safe and effective business scale for those retail outlets. 
And certainly something that's top of mind for, for many people these days is telehealth. Um, and if you look at the way telehealth is implemented today, it's largely cloud-based, um, but increasingly it's going to be edge-based when you, you know, see introduction and addition of more sensors and monitors and, and uh, precise diagnostic capabilities. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's the edge. And, and those are all, you know, exciting new use cases that are being, um, you know, generated today. And, and frankly, what's most exciting is what we haven't dreamed up yet. You know, it's all about building the infrastructure and that platform for innovation. So when you think about the agility that is required, um, it's important then to kind of transition into a conversation about cloud native architectures. Um, you know, the edge really requires that significant increase in flexibility and agility even beyond um, what really drove the network to transform. And software innovation is going to be super critical to accelerating these next generation edge services um, to be able to address those, those different demands that we talked about, whether it's latency, throughput, data sovereignty, security. Um, so, so to achieve this, there are really a couple key business goals that, that we have to be able to address. So you need to drive uh, greater efficient use of resources. That means architecting your platforms to be more effective um, and, and be able to tool your infrastructure to be able to support uh, greater utilization of those resources and greater scale to improve total cost of ownership. It means being able to improve your operational agility um, by driving Driving a much faster introduction of new applications and, and services. Um, I talked about developers before, right? Cloud developers, edge developers are really cloud developers and they need an easy button uh, to be able to land applications on edge infrastructure. And all of this is in pursuit of really the final business goal, which is to increase value to both consumer and enterprise end users. So if you look across these, these business goals, cloud-native architectures are really key to achieving them to enable new use cases and AI-based edge services. And this really spans a, a number of different areas. As I mentioned before, I'm really excited to be a part of this next wave of innovation at the edge. Um, I do believe that, that a lot of the most exciting use cases are ones that are yet to be invented. And so, um, you know, a few years into the future, I really look forward to, to really seeing how far we've come. Well, Jenny, my cats are giving me... Yeah, they're like, I want lunch. <laughs> so I, I think that has to be my final question for you, but it's great speaking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia.